0: We're nearly halfway into Seahawks training camp. What have we learned to this point? Rob Rang and I are going to take all our listeners to school with some takeaways two weeks into training camp for the Seahawks here on our latest episode of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked on Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks as always for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or watching on YouTube, five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're now two weeks into training camp. The Seahawks will have their ninth practice later this afternoon, an opportunity for the Seahawks to take another big step forward, particularly in their quarterback battle between Geno Smith and Drew Locke. What have we learned at this point? We're going to be breaking that down later in the episode, and we're going to have some extended Tell the Truth Tuesday musings, we're going to be looking back at the mock scrimmage from Saturday, a little bit more detail on what we saw at Lumen Field. Now, for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Heading into the 2022 season, Seattle's got pretty low expectations without Russell Wilson, without Bobby Wagner. A lot of rookies are going to be relied upon on both sides of the football, and it's looking more and more like that's going to be the case with what we've seen in the box scrimmage as well as training camp practices. But, Rob, if there is another reason to be a bit more optimistic about the trajectory of this franchise, you have to look no further than this 2020 draft class is now coming into their third seasons respectively. And we've talked about this group quite a bit. You know that Jordan Brooks already has made himself a top 10, top 12 middle linebacker in the NFL, 184 tackles last year. Daryl Taylor flashed with six and a half sacks. Damian Lewis has been a starter both seasons he's been in the NFL. Last year took a little bit of a step back. DJ Dallas has been a really good special teams player. Freddie Swain has exceeded expectations as a sixth-round pick. This is maybe the best overall draft class that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have had, really dating back to the 2012 group when you're looking in terms of depth. Not necessarily the star power of that group, not even close. You don't have future Hall of Famers in this draft class, at least at this point. But if there's a reason to think that this rebuild the Seahawks are taking part in could be hastened, this 2020 group looks like the main reason why. Because going into year three, there's a lot of optimism revolving around this group
1: yeah it just feels like that 2020 draft class Corbin is really set to pop I um, mean as you talked about Jordan Brooks has already established himself as one of the bright young defensive stars in all of the NFL coming off of last season set a franchise record with tackles and it was the the impact plays that he made there I think really distance in- distanced him from Bobby Wagner. Um, and then Daryl Taylor, of course. I mean, when he misses his entire rookie season, we see the six and a half sacks, and it felt like more than that a year ago. Feels like he is truly just scratching the surface of his potential. There, there's there been times when I thought that he was the best player on the field during training camp and during the mock game. There certainly were some of those flashes of that pass rush ability as well. Damian Lewis Hall, he's done his walk in the NFL and, and started each of the last two seasons, both the right guard and left guard. So showing his versatility, looking for a big step up from him as well. Kobe Parkinson, Freddie Swain, DJ Dallas. I mean, the list goes on and on. And that to me is one of the exciting things. And that's something I think that a lot of the national pundits out there are really missing the boat a little bit uh, on the Seahawks. I think that there is a lot of buzz for Seattle's current draft class and you know, I, I think justifiably so, but that 2020 draft class, the one that so many people panned as is often the case when it comes to Seattle and the NFL draft, uh, you know, it looks like it is going to put Seattle back up on that trajectory. And I think it's going to add a couple of wins to their, to their season total this year. And perhaps you are going to see some pro bowlers emerge from that. I really think that Jordan Brooks, Daryl Taylor, especially are special kind of players and really eager to see if we see that next step up from Damian Lewis, uh, as well as Kobe Parkinson specifically.
0: If this draft class is going to become more nationally known, it is going to boil down to star power. As you just mentioned, Jordan Brooks has yet to be a pro bowler or an all pro. He did get an all pro vote last year. So that's progress. He Had a very good season and he's only going into year number three, Bobby Wagner's gone. He's got the green dot in his helmet and he's really taken a big step forward as a leader. Going into year three, he's been impressive just watching what he's done in the field and how teammates are responding to him, not Bobby Wagner in that sense. You're not asking him to be. He's got his own personality, but he definitely has become a bit more vocal. He is a guy that's going to lead by example, and he's going to rack up tackles in bunches. So Jordan Brooks obviously is the most inclined player, in my opinion, in this group to be all pro. But I think Daryl Taylor in this defense, I've talked about what he looks like on the field right now, around 255, 260 pounds. Tree trunks for legs. That's the big difference to me, Rob, looking at him now compared to last year. Last season, he looked like he was pretty lean. And this year, he's come to camp. And and he's made an emphasis on this, wearing short shorts. (laughs) Hey, crowd, look at my legs. Check out. I have not been missing leg day. And Daryl Taylor has been taking advantage of that increased strength. In the padded practices, you can see him using that. He looks faster. He looks more comfortable. So he's the other player here that could really pop and maybe be an all-pro caliber player as a ceiling. He's got that type of athleticism and pass rushing ability. And then the X-Factor is Damian Lewis because two years ago it looked like you've got a Pro Bowl guard. And then last year they switched into the left side and he had some issues with that adjustment, flipping sides, battled through multiple injuries. And so it wasn't a great sophomore season for him. But Pete Carroll mentioned this the other day, first press conference coming back from a five-day absence with COVID, said that he's having a sophomore leap in his junior year. And if that's the case, if that ends up happening, that is big news for Seattle's offensive line. And There's not a lot of great guards in the NFL right now. That could present an opportunity for him to maybe be Pro Bowler. If you could get each of those three players to reach at least a Pro Bowl ceiling, then that is a very good draft class. And then we'd be remiss not to mention some of those mid-level guys, mid-round guys like Kobe Parkinson, who have the ability. He's just had injuries, but again, another really good training camp for him. And he's noticeably bigger and stronger. He's got a chance to play quite a few snaps, and that offense is going to have two tight ends in the field a lot. DJ Dallas has been running extremely well. He's versatile as a receiver. Even some of the late round guys like Al Robinson have been pretty good in training camp so far. If you can get good production from those guys, that were your fifth, the sixth round picks, again, this draft class as a whole has better depth than any class really dating back to that 2012 group.
1: Yeah, I love that you mentioned Alton Robbins. I was remiss in, in not mentioning him because he has been arguably the best of at least Seattle's day three guys from this uh, group, at least in terms of this year's training camp. As you talked about, um, he ca- has come in uh, to training camp, which is kind of an entirely different uh, physique, does look sleeker, um, quicker off the line. I thought that he made some kind of splashy plays in the uh, in the mock game as well, um, both in going forward and in reverse. And so that's in, encouraging. Um, we talked about the fact that Seattle is obviously making that defensive adjustment, and so it's going to ask him to uh, to play in space a little bit more than he was asked to do when he was basically, quote-unquote, just a upfield pass rusher with the Syracuse Orangemen um, in his collegiate day. So he is one. And then Freddie Swain, I think that sometimes we get so excited about the rookie class of wide receivers, the the superstars on this roster, obviously, with DK and Tyler Lockett, that, that Freddie Swain just kind of gets swept under the rug a little bit. But the same thing with dj dallas the, the the positional versatility that freddie swain provides you with the return ability special teams he just has that mindset uh you know he's a downfield blocker as well um and then he brings a different element of just juice a burst after the catch than most of seattle's other wide receivers obviously again tyler and dk are just different guys and there's no question about marquise goodwin the former olympian has that straight line speed as well bo melton has it timed derrick young has it timed but not proven but freddie swain has proven it and so it'll be interesting to see if he is going to, again, just, quote-unquote, just be that that fourth, fifth, sixth wide receiver and be on the back end of Seattle's roster. Or is he going to be able to continue his march up? Clearly, Seattle's hoping D. Eskridge is going to be able to do that. But while Eskridge sits on the sideline, Freddie Swain might be swooping in and taking some of those opportunities.
0: Yeah, the bottom line here is if they can get a little bit more production and development from those mid-round picks in this class. It, I think that it's a good thing when you're looking at the fact that all but one player from that draft class is still in the roster. Uh, Stephen Sullivan is the only one that is no longer on the team, and he's still in the league. Yep. So this overall has been a class has had a bit more staying power in that regard, but really what will set this group apart is if you can get a few stars to emerge in those early-round picks and some of your mid-round picks become valuable contributors as role players on special teams, offense, and defense. If you can find two or three guys that can do that to go with some Pro Bowl caliber players at the top, then this absolutely can be a group that hastens this rebuild and gets the Seahawks back into contention quickly. Up next, we haven't had all 22 to watch because, well, technically mock games aren't on game pass or anything like that, but we have had an opportunity to revisit the mock scrimmage from Saturday. We're going to dish out our first tell the truth Tuesday with a few deeper dives from that mock scrimmage when we return. If you haven't tried Bilt Bar Puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? They have a new flavor. It's absolutely delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Cookie dough chunk puffs have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks. And of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. Plus, it's healthy for you, just 160 calories and a whopping 15 grams of protein. Run to Built.com to snag a box for you and the family. It'll be the perfect treat, or you can do what I do and find a really good hiding place and just hoard them for yourself. Like all Built Bars, the new Cookie Dough Chunk Puff is covered in 100% real chocolate. They're healthy, tasty, light, fluffy texture, so good. You're going to love the new Cookie Dough Chunk Puff. Huff. Go to built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 50% off your order. Again, that's LOCK15 at built.com for 15% off your order. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me is always my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. All right, Rob, it's time for our first Tell the Truth Tuesday of the season. We're going to be doing this all year long, a couple days after the game Can have a chance to look back at the All-22 and really comb through some more detailed takeaways and observations from the game. We don't have All-22 filmed just yet, but we have a little bit thanks to the fans in the stands that decided to get their cell phones out. But uh, we don't have the luxury of watching all of that tape. But we did have an opportunity to revisit this mock scrimmage. And I think that the first big selling point that we need to make here, and you could really say this across the board, particularly in a mock game scrimmage. It's never as good as you think, and it's never as bad as you think, and that certainly applies to the quarterback position when we're talking about Drew Locke and Geno Smith's performance on Saturday. I think Drew Locke was easily the better quarterback of the two on this day, but when you go back and you watch some of the reps, you can certainly see some missed opportunities for Drew Locke. Uh, Missed reads, missed throws. The throw downfield to Bo Melton, he talked about after the game, that was a huge miss that he really wanted back. Just a little more air under that. He could have had a 62-yard touchdown added to his stat line. So there were certainly some missed opportunities. And at the same time for Geno Smith, barely completed 50% of his passes, but he had some much tougher throws that he was trying to complete. It just seemed like maybe it was the play design Maybe it was just receivers not creating separation like they were with Drew Locke. Whatever the case might be, you had two different offenses out there, and the one that Geno's running might be a bit more complex you know, routes and uh, play design. And early in training camp and in the preseason, those type of plays might not be as crisp. So there's a lot of different things to consider here that maybe it wasn't as bad for Geno as the stat line shows, and maybe Drew Locke wasn't quite as crisp as originally thought.
1: I, I thought that they both had a pretty solid effort. I, I did think that Drew Locke was as billed, the, as expected. It was more accurate, um, and uh, you know, I, I thought that uh, that Geno Smith, as you said, maybe that he didn't have the the poor performance that that basically a fifty percent completion rate and zero touchdown throws uh, zero touchdown throws uh, in in that in the mock game might suggest Um, I I saw some some very intelligent passes I I saw some very accurate passes I I saw some complex throws that uh, you know that I thought made it a little bit more difficult to evaluate him in true in terms of apples-to-apples apples comparison with some of the throws that I saw Drew Locke make. But at the same time, I also like that Drew Locke put himself in position to make some of those throws, that, that he recognized that he had to get the ball out quickly, um, that he did in his first two opportunities with Seattle's number one offense, go up against number one defense, just marches right down the field and scores two touchdowns. I mean, that's what you're looking for. Uh, you know. And and the, the precision, the, the ball placement from, from Drew Locke at something i've i talked about basically going back to when he was drafted by the denver broncos out of missouri i just thought that this guy has the accuracy that you expect from a starting caliber quarterback he doesn't always have the decision making as we've discussed but i i was encouraged by drew locke's decision making in this mock game um and it's kind of going back to it i, I think that from the very get go when, when drew lock was put on the field uh you know his very first completion was basically an easy quick uh, out a quick out to Tyler Lockett. I mean, it's like taking candy from a baby. But the way that he distributed the ball, he goes to his tight end Noah Fant on his first third down for another easy completion. The the throw to DK Metcalf, kind of a sidearm, little almost no look pass, Patrick Mahomes like. Look it up on YouTube, as you mentioned, Corbin. Some of our uh, Seahawks fans out there and our listeners, hopefully, uh, had put some things on YouTube. You can see this throw, and it is a precise pass that Metcalf, I think, was surprised by. It. Had to kind of double clutch it but it there were some beautiful throws out there uh the the touchdown to to cody thompson Um, i'll talk about this a little bit later because i thought that there were some splashy plays from seattle's defensive backs as well um but the 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 willingness to throw a fade into the end zone. Um, that was something, obviously, that Russell Wilson struggled with long uh, for a long time in, in Seattle. So it was encouraging to see Drew Locke kind of take advantage of what he does well with the touch and the ball placement. Cody Thompson making a good play there to get that touchdown for him. Uh, you know, there was some other throws. There was one on a third down where he went deep. Uh, and, and I just like the willingness to be aggressive, but at the same time, not be brazen, not not be kind of crazy and rolling the dice too often. So I thought that Drew Locke did a really nice job of kind of of balancing himself with by being aggressive and yet not being um, reckless with the football. And that, to me, is the best way for Drew Locke to wind up being the starting quarterback, which is obviously his goal.
0: And I mentioned this on the post-game show. The two plays that really jumped out to me, Drew Locke, the the seam throw to Metcalf, as you mentioned. And a lot of people on Twitter, I know that there are a lot of people that are upset about Russell Wilson no longer being here. I was not bashing Russell Wilson with my comment. I was speaking to the offensive scheme. How many times did we see throws down the seam? And I don't think this was all Russ. It's just the way the offense operated. And I'm with you. I tweeted it. I think DK was surprised because that throw just hasn't been made very often to him in the three years he's been here. And for Locke to sling that thing in there the way he did between the slot corner and the oncoming safety, it was a beautiful throw. The other one that really jumped out was when Metcalf and Lockett were running verticals downfield. And you could tell that Locke was like, I want to throw this ball. I want to throw this ball. But he realized there are two defenders deep. They've got this covered. He pump faked and then dropped it off to Ken Walker. The third picks up three yards might not seem like a big deal. Second and seven is better than second and 10 or a turnover throwing an interception, which might've happened. If he launched that ball downfield, those kind of plays are really encouraging to me because it shows he's balancing the gunslinger mentality with, making smart decisions with the football. Now, can he do it consistently? That's the next step there. On the offensive line, a couple quick observations. We didn't really have a chance. you know, In the game, it's tough to really watch the line closely. But going back and seeing some plays, you and I mentioned this before the show, I do have some concerns about the snaps from Austin Blythe. There were a lot of really low snaps, and that has been an issue at camp practices as well. So they're going to have to clean that up. And Charles Cross, no pressures allowed. In his first game action for the Seahawks, some issues maybe in the run game that are going to need to be cleaned up as expected. But he looked as advertised in pass protection, not giving up any pressure, very light on his feet, living up to his nickname, sweet feet out there. Just looked like the number nine overall pick going up against Cheninuosu and Boy Mafe.
1: Yeah, those are the two offensive linemen that I really wanted to talk about as well. Um, again, I just thought it was a, a very nice debut for Charles Cross. He didn't play that much. They, they mo- rotated in the other uh, two tackles, um, you know, but at the same time, I still was very encouraged by what I saw from Charles Cross, so a good start from him. Um, but then, yeah, Austin Blythe, that was a concern. I mean, obviously he is the presumptive starter on this team. And, uh, and yeah, there were notable uh, a, a number of low snaps and nothing that, like, you know, there was no dribblers down to the, you know, this was not a ground or the shortstop, but at the same time, it did kind of throw off the timing, I believe for Drew Locke. And I, I think for Juno Smith as well. Um, and, and so that is something that, that, that clearly Seattle needs to get fixed um, because we've talked about this for a long, long time in this city uh, center has been an issue. And for Seattle to have had the opportunities that they've had and for this to continue to be an issue, um, I, I think is something that we need to be talking about.
0: Let's go to the defensive side of the football real quick. And I really dove in on Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant, the way that they played in this mock scrimmage. But I want to stay in the secondary real quick because you didn't have Sidney Jones out there. He's dealing with a concussion. He's had a very good training camp. He's done nothing to lose the starting job at left cornerback but you could really see the depth on display at this position in particular the two rookies and Mike Jackson I'm going to keep throwing this name out because until Trey Brown gets back on the field Mike Jackson has an opportunity here there is a door that is open for him to make this team and when you're a fringe player like that who has not played very many games in the NFL has mostly been on the practice squad last year he played in one game for the Seahawks Played well in that game, had two pass breakups against the Detroit Lions, but he just doesn't have a lot of experience. When you're a player like that, you have no margin for error. And yet to this point, it feels like he really hasn't made any significant errors in practice. He's been consistently coming up and blowing up screen plays and jet sweeps. He's been covering deep balls extremely well. He's been getting his hands on the football when he has opportunities. His name has just gone under the radar because of what the rookies are doing, what Artie Burns is doing, what Sidney Jones is doing, the depth that they have had at this position. But I thought Mike Jackson had a really good mock scrimmage, too. He was tested downfield a couple times, and he was in great position, and that's been what he's been doing consistently. He checks off the size, length, athleticism markers the Seahawks are looking for, so – this is a very good situation at corner from a depth perspective. I know I've talked about it a lot in this show, but I just want to hammer it home that we're talking the number six corner on the depth chart most likely. He's got a chance to make the team when Trey Brown isn't healthy. But, I mean, that's your number six guy. It's a much different vibe than last year when even the third or fourth corner, and you're requesting with your starters too. I think there's still questions in this group. There's no question about it. We don't have a proven long-term starter here, but that doesn't mean that you don't have players that – can't become that player in 2022 and beyond. And there's just a lot more depth and a lot of young oozing talent here for the Seahawks in that position.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, quickly on Mike Jackson, I mean, I, I gave him a third, fourth round grade, uh, you know, coming out of Miami a couple of years ago, Corbin. I really liked him. I was shocked that, that he has not had more success in the NFL, more interest from NFL clubs out there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not at all surprised that he is having some success here in Seattle, a defense that really is catered to his strengths. And speaking of that defense, to me, that was one of the things that was also very exciting about this is that we have heard Clint Hurt and Sean Desai, Carl Scott, Pete Carroll, John Shaw, everybody talk about how much more aggressive they're going to be, how much more exotic they're going to be. And it was exciting to see. Some of the reasons why Seattle's offense had struggles is because Seattle's defense brought it. Not only are they fast, they're physical, and they were exotic for a mock game. So to me, that is encouraging is they weren't just kind of giving some little soft toss batting practice reps to these two quarterbacks. They were giving them legitimate competition and it was good to see Seattle's young defense coming together as well as giving the offense some lumps that they'd have to come back come back and and prove that they are going to be ready to hit the Denver Broncos hard when the NFL season begins
0: and a couple of those blitzes led to sacks and and I'm putting this in air quotes that you know sacks in a mock scrimmage they're not actually tackling the quarterback they blow the whistle early you can't hit Mr. Red Jersey but they were able to create quick pressures and Puna Ford got a sack on a third down on Geno Smith. Then he had another one where Aaron Doncourt, by the way, Aaron Doncor looks great the other day. He uh, he's been a guy that has been pretty quiet most of camp, but then when the pads came on, he's kind of started to show up a little bit rushing off the edge. And he was able to get in there and get a sack. And so the aggressiveness, bringing five-plus rushers, they were doing that a lot in this, and I expect that's what we're going to be seeing from the Seahawks. They're going to find different ways to do it, though, than what we've seen in the past. It's going to be more exotic scheme-wise, mixing in personnel packages. We're already seeing that even in the mock scrimmage, so I can't wait to see what it looks like in a real game when they open up their full toolbox to show the world what they're going to do defensively. Switching gears now. We're two weeks into training camp. We've got the mock game in the rearview mirror. First preseason game coming up in Pittsburgh on Saturday. What have we learned to this point in general? Not just from the game, but all the practices combined. What are some things we've learned? Rob and I are going to take our listeners to school a little bit. A classroom session. First two weeks of training camp coming up next. Level with me. We've all been in a situation at some point in our lives when we were a little tight on cash. Maybe you could only afford to put a few gallons of gas in your tank or you got another save the date and are wondering how you're going to afford a gift, that's where Dave can help. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's more money to fill your tank, buy a wedding gift, or catch up on bills. You can finally tackle those expenses that have been stressing you out without any hangups. There's no interest, no credit check needed. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch and need some extra help, download Dave and think of it as a helping hand from a future you. Download the Dave app from the app store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve, member FDIC. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast for your second listen Our national NFL experts, and insiders, keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and the latest news from around the league throughout training camp and the preseason. It's available anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're now two weeks into training camp, almost halfway through training camp. This time of year, things become a blur. You're like, hey, the season started. And then you're like, oh, wait, it's week 10. And things go extremely quickly in this business. So we're already two weeks into training camp. Eight practices in the books, a mock game scrimmage in the books. we got a preseason game coming up Saturday in Pittsburgh. Things are moving quickly, Rob, and that's given us a lot of time to reflect and look at what we've learned up to this point. And, and I think the first thing, we're talking the quarterback position. We've we've dialed in on what happened in the mock game scrimmage, what we've seen at practice so far. I think the only thing that is a certainty right now is that there's going to be uncertainty here for quite some time. I don't think, and a lot of it's going to be probably by design, but I don't think we will know who is starting a quarterback until a week or less before they're playing against Russell Wilson and the Broncos. And maybe some of it just gamesmanship, uh, but I think some of it's also just the fact that they don't know right now who the starter is, and it's truly still a very level playing field. It seems like it's going to be hard-pressed for them to name a starter out of training camp, and it's going to take more time.
1: Well, I just think that we going to take those preseason games. Yeah, I think that uh, Saturday's mock game was the first true uh, opportunity to evaluate Drew Lock fairly, just because of then he was going up. He had the number one offense with him going up against the number one defense for a series of plays, rather than just a couple, a handful of plays. Uh, you know, that way we, we've seen over training camp. But I would agree with you. I think that um, there have been a lot of people out there who said, "Oh, Geno Smith's going to win this job. Drew Lock's going to win this job." I. I think that the more likely scenario has always been that this was going to be a pretty even keel competition with, with Geno Smith having the the lead as the incumbent. But, I, you know, I thought that it makes a lot of sense to see Drew Locke kind of inch his way up closer. But at the same time, uh, the proof is going to be in these preseason games. Um, And so if we do see one quarterback statistically just be that much better uh, than the other over the course of these three games, I think that's likely going to be the starter. But that's not the indication that we've seen so far. So I would agree. I think that we are not going to know for sure, for sure, who the starter is, at the quarterback position until very likely the conclusion of that third preseason game. And even then, it probably won't be until Pete Carroll announces it the week before the Monday game.
0: There's a lot of uncertainty still at that quarterback position. Even when we when we figure out, even when we figure out who is going to be the starter, obviously there's gonna be question marks with the track records for Drew Locke and Geno Smith. But one area on this roster where it looks like there's not as much uncertainty as there has been in recent years. I think that this tight end group is living up to the hype. And some of it's just with the quarterbacks that are in there using them more, the scheme being better catered to the players. But no fant had a couple of nice catches for first downs in this mock game scrimmage. He's consistently been pretty good in training camp. There's been a few drops sprinkled in there, but he's clearly a go-to target for both quarterbacks. Colby Parkinson looks like a different player. I mentioned the first quarter. He's added a little bit of muscle. He looks like a true do-it-all tight end, which he certainly was not that when he came in the league two years ago. Now, can you get the production from him on the field? The foot injuries have prevented Seattle from seeing what he can do in the passing game. I still think that's the best asset he gives you, but – He has certainly had a really good training camp, and he's still looking good out there. So that's a good omen. And Will Disley has quietly had a very solid camp, too. He's made some nice catches in their 7-on-7 team drills, and he's still the best blocking tight end by a wide margin of these three. So there's a lot of reason for excitement of this group. And tight ends just haven't gotten the targets in recent years. It looks like, based on what we're seeing in camp practices and the mock scrimmage on Saturday. That, that is truly going to change this year, and that Shane Waldron and the quarterbacks are going to prioritize throwing to these tight ends more than what we've seen in recent years.
1: Yeah, I talked about it before. I, I was really encouraged by the fact that Drew Locke on his first third down the mock game went back to his former teammates and obviously now current teammates, uh, in, in Noah Fant and just the burst that Noah Fant. You showed once he caught that ball and slipped by and uh, was able to kind of create some yardage after the catch. I just think you're going to see yardage after the catch actually be something that goes with the words tight end in in Seattle's offense, and that has not been the case in the past, and so really excited about that, and I would agree with you. I think that the tight ends have entered training camp with a lot of hype, um, and that they have lived up to it, and that kind of ties in beautifully with, I think, Seattle's rookie class in general, but specifically the offensive tackles when you're selected number nine overall then then charles cross is going to have an awful lot of eyes on him obviously regardless of who the quarterback is for the seahawks moving forward charles cross is going to be charged with blocking his blind side um and and so you cannot have a more high pressure situation than what the left tackle has, but he has lived up to all that hype so far. Abraham Lucas has been very encouraged. And again, just the rookie class in general, Uh, the burst that that Ken Walker has demonstrated throughout training camp. And then during the game itself, I I didn't talk about the touchdown, but his quickness, uh, you know, he was bottled up and then just hit another gear and was gone. Um, You know, and that is something that Seattle just not, has not seen as good as Rashad Penny is for a, a back is 240 pounds it does take him a couple of steps to get there it doesn't take ken walker that so that to me is exciting and the rookie corners oh my goodness you can just kind of talk about them all day long so again to me that is one of the most encouraging things about this entire training camp experience corbin is that i think there's a lot of people out there a lot of naysayers who are saying oh john schneider and the seahawks they, they can't draft the way they used to they're they're relying they're still living off their 2012 class well as we broke down, in the 2020 class is pretty damn good, Now I think this class is going to be even
0: better. Yeah, that's certainly an area of optimism. This rookie class as a whole has passed the eye test so far. Now we'll see what they look like when they play other competition. The Pittsburgh Steelers on Saturday, and we get another preseason game coming up middle of next week too. And that's what's crazy about the preseason—they knock these games out pretty quickly. So, going to get a lot of competition playing against other teams coming up soon. I'm going to go to a little bit more of a negative here on the defensive side of the football. Something we've learned to this point with Jordan Brooks being out for a few days. Now, he was back in Sunday's walkthrough, so it looks like he's going to be fine. He had a tweaked hamstring. That's good news for the Seahawks. You're going to have Jordan Brooks out there next to Cody Barton. You got to feel pretty good about your starting linebackers. I think there are legitimate depth concerns, though, at the off-ball linebacker position with Ben Burkirvan being on injured reserve out for the season. Some of the other losses that they've had, Bobby Wagner obviously is the big one, but they've had some injuries there. Lakeem Williams has not practiced for over a week, and he was a player that I thought maybe might be a fringe player that could compete. John Radigan, probably not going to be back till middle of the season, still recovering from a torn ACL, and he's got a long way to go till he's back. He's going to open the year on the pup list. Radigan's a player that certainly flashed last year on special teams and played well during the preseason games on defense, so maybe he's a guy that's part of your future, but You look at the backups, Rob. I think that Iggy E.A. Ea Booneyway, and they're calling him Iggy now, but I think that Iggy is a solid rotational player. He can play special teams really well. We haven't seen defensive snaps from him, though. He's played less than 50 snaps on defense his entire NFL career. I thought he looked okay the other day. I have some questions about his ability to diagnose runs, and maybe he just hasn't had enough experience in that regard in the NFL level, but there was definitely a drop off there when he didn't have Jordan Brooks in the field as expected, but it was a little bit more stark than what I was anticipating. Tanner Muse is a good special teams guy, but he's a former safety. And I don't know that that transition to linebacker, there's a lot that he's still trying to learn playing that position. Levi Jones out of NC state. He's an undrafted rookie with a lot of talent, a lot of athletic ability, but he's undrafted. He's raw. There's a lot of things that he's got to work on in his game. So I just think you look at that linebacker group as a whole right now on the defensive side of the football from depth perspective, that is easily the group to me. There is the biggest question mark. If you do have an injury to Cody Barton or God forbid, Jordan Brooks, you know, you're going to have a Booneway, You're going to have muse, maybe Nick Ballore, who's an insurance option at this point, you know, nothing more, nothing less. I just think that the depth concerns there with the injuries that they've got that position, it is something to keep a close eye on right now.
1: It is, it is. And of course, Seattle has had the luxury of having two of the most durable uh, and, and professional and you know, obviously very productive linebackers in NFL history and Bobby Wagner and KG Wright for the last decade. And so it does feel like there is a bit of a drop off there. I would agree with you that the depth at linebacker is concerning. Um, I, I, At the same time, I think that it is important, as you mentioned, that uh, Jordan Brooks was available in Sunday's walkthrough. Of course, Monday was an off day for the Seahawks. So if the Seahawks had any real concerns about Brooks' uh, ability to play, then he certainly wouldn't have been out there on that walkthrough. They were giving him the two days off. So I think that that bodes well. But I agree, linebacker is a position of concern. And that is a little bit of news. In, in, the, in the aspect of that, um, just because of the fact that Seattle has allocated a great number of draft picks to that position over the last couple of years, but the different injuries you talked about with uh, BBK and then, uh, of course, Radigan, he was undrafted for agent, obviously made the club, um, and so there is some concern that way. I think it's kind of the opposite of corner. Corner was the cornerback was the position I think that a lot of people had a great deal of concerns about because of course for the last couple of years historically Seattle was bad in terms of its secondary play and yet cornerback has actually kind of ascended to be arguably Seattle's strongest position I still think that safety is even better. Um, and obviously that's part of the secondary and the safeties and corners complement each other, but the rookies especially have just been so intrigued by, it. as we were kind of going through our uh, tell the truth Tuesday breakdown of the, the mock scrimmage. There was, you know, the, the, the great, possible interception by Tariq Woolen. I think if, if they had been a replay, maybe the ball hit the ground. But I love the fact that Tariq Woolen made this sprawling diving catch away from the quarterback, so basically like a wide receiver uh, for those people who haven't been able to watch it. Extension pulled the ball in, was going up against a speedster and Marquise Goodwin on that particular play court. But that's the kind of quick twitch uh, you know, kind of receiver that I think would give a really long levered, cornerback like Tariq Woolen some problems. Obviously, when you run a four-two-six at the combine, as Woolen did, you know he can run straight line. But a lot of times, those long corners like that can't shuttle or, or, or kind of slow down and change directions very well. Um, and so that's a very challenging receiver for a guy like Woolen to go up against and to be able to make that play, to be able to tip the ball. Of course, Cody Thompson made the play to get the touchdown in the mock game, but still, to, again, a very different player in Cody Thompson, 6'2", 215 pounds, kind of a guy's going to body up and Tariq Woolen match the physicality there as well. And We know we've been you know, lauding Kobe Bryant all training camp long. So uh, all the veterans that we talked about, we, we've seen flashes from Mike Jackson, from Sidney Jones, from Artie Burns, et cetera, et cetera. But those two rookie cornerbacks, I think, are some, something I definitely have learned through training camp that I've been very impressed with
0: Seattle at that spot. And to cap this off, We've talked to the coaching staff, the aggressive defensive mindset, and really the thing that has me the most excited, how Sean Desai is playing the role of mad scientist with this secondary. And you could give Carl Scott some credit too, but Sean Desai is the one that's got his imprint on these safeties. I think that's where you're going to see him bleed into the defense more than anything as the associate head coach with his background being a safety coach in Chicago, then as a defensive coordinator, running a lot of three safety sets, They've been doing a lot of three and four safety sets at training camp practices. A lot of nickel and a lot of dime where they're saying, we don't need a slot corner. We're doing with a slot safety, and they've been doing it regularly. But what's really been intriguing is the dime packages where they've been walking Jamal Adams up as the second linebacker next to Jordan Brooks, and you know the possibilities there with his blitzing talent, his ability to stop the run, his athleticism and coverage. It's a really intriguing fit. But what they've been doing, they've had him w- move up, and then they've had three other safeties on the field. You've had Marquise Blair playing uh, as a slot defender. You've had Josh Jones and Quandre Diggs as the other safeties. Ryan Neal got some work before he got injured in that capacity, too. You get all these moving parts. And Rob, just think about how much flexibility that gives you when you can slide Jamal Adams up there to the linebacker position. Or you could even do that with Josh Jones at his size. He's played that box safety position really well. But you can just mix and match guys. And you want to talk about the ability to disguise without disguising. Just moving all those different parts around is going to cause a lot of headaches for quarterbacks, especially when you get got a number of players that can play both safety positions like Marquise Blair. Quandary did complain in the box a little bit too. Josh Jones, Ryan Neal. They've got all these parts that they can slide around and Knowing how much success that Sean Desai had in Chicago doing that with three different safeties, I cannot wait to see what they're going to do in these game situations when they're trying to figure out how can we get as many of these safeties on the field together as we can. I think their best defense, especially in passing situations, is going to be with three, maybe even four safeties on the field at once. And just again, the headaches that that could give offensive coordinators and quarterbacks. Where you aren't even disguising necessarily, but the way that you can move guys around, that interchangeability, that by itself helps disguise and make it tougher for quarterbacks to figure out what coverage you're in.
1: No, no question about it. And that's the thing. The safeties have that ability. I mean, they're obviously basically a hybrid between linebackers and cornerbacks. And so you don't know if they are going to be cover in coverage or uh, rushing the passer or whatever the case might be. It just gives you that different uh, level of, um, of deception. And uh, you know, and to think to me that is what is going to make it a really exciting year from a Seahawks defensive side of the ball kind of a perspective. Because where Seattle got these coaches from, of course, in Denver with Carl Scott and in Sean Desai in Chicago, think about the offenses that they had to go up against and the level of success that these two defensive minds had coming to Seattle, where obviously you have the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. But otherwise, the Arizona Cardinals, I mean, they are what they are, but they are a very different offense than a Lot of other clubs and the San Francisco 49ers with a second year almost rookie quarterback likely to be at the helm, you know, there is going to be opportunities for Seattle's defense to have some splashy plays. And it feels like Seattle has the the guys in the secondary to be able to take full advantage of
0: that. That's going to be one of the more fascinating storylines to watch unfold when we get into the real football games to see what this new staff is able to concoct week in, week out from a strategy and scheme standpoint. I can't wait to see what they're going to do with the safeties. We've got a little bit of a taste, but I'm sure there's plenty that they haven't revealed yet that'll be coming out when they play the Broncos starting in week one. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're also streaming five days a week on youtube coming up on our wednesday episode we're going to share our observations from seattle's ninth training camp practice it may be a padded practice coming up here later on tuesday afternoon so we'll dive into some takeaways and we're going to start taking a look at seattle's upcoming preseason opener against the pittsburgh steelers you won't want to miss it enjoy the rest of your tuesday thanks for listening go hawks